Well, friends, if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn for the final time in this series through 2 Peter. If you would turn there to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, and if you are using the Bibles provided for you, there's one there. If you'd like to turn to that, that's 2 Peter 3, the text is found on page 1019, 1019 of the Bible that's provided there. And as we are bringing this series of messages to a close, and you're turning to that passage in 2 Peter 3, I think maybe it's important to tell you a little bit about what's ahead as we're continuing forward in our teaching focus for this summer. So I want you to be aware of that. And I hear the little alarms going off that we might be having some storms, okay? And so that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> okay, if it's an amber alert, then we pray. That's, that's different, okay? We'll pray about that, okay? So, um, as we are looking forward to the summer, I thought it'd be good for us to know maybe a little bit where we're headed. Uh, we're calling this summer teaching, beginning next uh, Sunday, a summer reformation. A summer reformation. Perhaps you know that this year is the 500th anniversary of a sweeping work of God uh, that we know as the Protestant Reformation that took place uh, in Western Europe and swept across Western Europe and was hugely impactful uh, in what led even to the founding of our nation. We, we would not have America, we would not have uh, this nation if it were not for this Protestant Reformation. But the most important thing about that great move of God was not the establishment of a nation like we enjoy here in America, but it was a return to the absolute commitment to the Word of God. It was the return to the light of Scripture in a dark ages, dark ages made most dark of all, by religious darkness. Religion had almost stamped out the true light of the gospel. But God raised up people who were faithful to turn people's hearts back to the scriptures. And so what we thought we would do this summer as we have this 500th anniversary was to remind ourselves a little bit about how we are to stay connected and advance that great work of the Lord. We're going to do this around the, the five solas. There were five solas, and the word sola means alone. There were five great truths upon which this reformation was built. It was built around grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Those were the five solas of the great reformation. And they are just as essential today as they were then. And so we're going to spend the summer months beginning next Sunday, Lord willing, June 4th through Sunday, August the 6th, focusing on those five great Reformation truths. And then on five Wednesday nights, the beginning of the last Wednesday night in June, and then four Wednesday nights in July, 
Uh, we're going to have gatherings over in the hub with fellowship and refreshment, but also time of looking at the lives of five great individuals who were essential, amazing part of that Reformation. I like to call them the Fab Five of the Reformation. And so we're going to take one of those every Wednesday night, have some teaching on their lives, what we learn from their lives, and then some good fellowship together as a church. So we're looking forward to this summer, uh, calling it a summer reformation. Our scripture today, though, as we come to a close of a series through 2 Peter, is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. And let's begin reading at verse 14. If you would, I'm going to ask if you can, please, would you stand uh, in respect to the Word of God as we read our text together this morning? If you are able to stand, please do that. Beginning at verse 14, 2 Peter chapter 3. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks of them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore beloved knowing this beforehand. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I wonder how many of you confess to maybe being a little impatient. Would you raise your hands? Okay. All right. And how many of you are willing to confess for somebody in your family that they're a little impatient? Okay. All right. Now we're getting to it now. All right. I confess. <laughs> I, I can tend to be impatient now. By God's grace, I, I try, and I think in many ways I am patient with people. I, I want to be patient with people, but I'm not patient when it comes to waiting. I, I don't like to wait. I, I read something that may not help you impatient people any, but I read this week that in the average lifetime, a person will spend five years waiting Waiting in line or waiting in a store, waiting someplace, but five years waiting. And it's average that six months of that waiting will be waiting at a traffic light. Six months of your life. I know that can't be accurate because I've already spent two years of my life at Middlebrook and Robinson Road. I know I've had two years of my life. Waiting there, but I'm a patient man. I want you Yes, when we're waiting, it seems like time creeps, doesn't it? When we're waiting, but in reality, 
Time doesn't creep. Time flies. There's a Latin phrase, tempus fugit, which literally, time flies. And it's interesting, in, in ancient time, the personification of time, when time was personified, you know, we say father time, but when time was personified in ancient times, it wasn't with an old man, but it was with a very active running man. He's, he's running, but it's very strange. In his appearance, he has a long forelock of hair coming out of the front of his head, flowing in the wind. And he represented time. Now, why was that? Because they believed that you had to seize time by the hair of his head. You had to seize time. And a Latin expression there is carpe diem. You've got to seize the day. You've got to seize time. Well, there are a couple of biblical admonitions that go along with this. The admonition of waiting and working at the same time. The admonition to be in anticipation and to be in action. You see, waiting for a Christian is never to be inactivity. It is an attitude of expectation that leads us to activation, all right? Expectation that leads us to activation because we are waiting for a special day, the arrival of the most special person, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are waiting for the day of the Lord. We're waiting for the day of the Lord's appearing. But while we're waiting, we are to also be serving. We're to be active. And so for a few minutes, what I want us to focus on is how Peter reminds us of how we, would, we should live while we wait. While we wait for that day which our planet is speeding toward, while we wait for that day, how should we live? Well, I want you to notice that there are really six words that I could give to encapsulate how we are to wait, how we are to live as we wait for the Lord. And I want us to briefly just look at these as we prepare to close our service with communion today. First of all, verse 14, Peter says that we, as we wait, should be living in purity. As we wait, we should live in purity. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now notice he says, therefore, since you're waiting for these, what's the these refer to? It refers to anticipating what he's just talked about. 
the new heaven. Look at verse 13. The new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what we're anticipating. We're anticipating a new world order, okay? Brought to order by our Lord Jesus Christ. And righteousness will be at home in that new world which the Lord will bring at his return. But until then, notice, we're to be diligent, focused, diligent to be found by him. Now notice, let's stop there. There's a somber truth. When he comes, you won't be able to hide. You will be found by him. There will be some crying for the rocks and the mountains to cover them from the eyes of the all-seeing Son of God, but no one will be able to hide from him. All will be found by him. We will be found by him. We can't hide from him. We shouldn't want to hide from him. But though we cannot hide from him, we can decide how we want to be found by him. We can decide what kind of condition we want our lives to be about, right? We can be a part of that. And so he says here, verse 14, make it your goal. Be diligent. Press toward this to be found without spot or blemish. Without spot or blemish. Now that's interesting if you remember a couple weeks ago and if you'll look back to chapter 2 notice in chapter 2 that's the same phrase he used to describe the false teachers do you remember that chapter 2 verse 13 he says they are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you and he's probably talking about the lord's supper while they partake of the Lord's Supper with you, they are actually blots. They are actually blots and blemishes. They are not right with the Lord and they're preaching and teaching this false truth. So he says, make sure that you do not get led into this kind of spiritual belief system. Be unspotted and unblameable. Be found by Christ unspotted and unblameable. Now friends, that does not mean perfection. Because I want you to know, when Jesus comes, not one of his followers will be living in spiritual perfection, right? He's not talking about perfection. Listen carefully. He's talking about direction. It's not the perfection of your life. It's the direction of your life to be found pursuing sanctification. That's how we're to live our lives. To be found pursuing a life unspotted and blameless. So he says, while you wait, live in purity. And then notice he says, while you wait, live at peace. Live at peace. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And at peace. 
Now, as Christians, we have been given a wonderful gift. You know what the Bible says? Having been justified by faith, having been declared not guilty by God, on the basis of our faith in Christ, what do we have? We have what? Peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank God that through Christ... The war is over, right? We are at peace with God. We have peace with God. But he says, be diligent to be at peace. What does he mean here? Well, every person who's a Christian has peace with God, but not every Christian moment to moment is living with the peace of God. He's talking about the peace of God. What is the peace of God? It's the inner tranquility of your soul because of your relationship with the Lord. Peace. Peace with God and peace of God. You know, 30 years ago, now pushing 31 years ago, I preached my first sermon at West Park Baptist Church when I was invited to come and speak uh, to the congregation as a guest speaker and that led to being invited back to uh, be a speaker as a candidate to be the pastor. It was over here in the little World's Fair building and my first message, I was thinking, well, what do you talk about when you're speaking to this kind of situation? My first message was the believer's recipe for peace. The believer's recipe for peace and I want to tell you something. The recipe hasn't changed in 30 years. Now, the preacher has changed quite a bit, okay? <laughs> but the recipe hasn't changed. The recipe isn't a secret. The recipe isn't even copyrighted. Can you thank God for that? The Lord invites plagiarism for this recipe. What's that look like? Well, turn back to, I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians. He would just turn back toward the front of the New Testament a few pages. It's page 982 in your Bibles if you're using the Bible. But I want you to see the believer's recipe for peace. It's right here. How can you be, have a life that's at peace with God? Philippians chapter 4, Paul ends challenging these believers with this recipe for peace. I want you to notice verses four through seven, he gives the means of peace. How can, what's the means that brings this peace? Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now that is, that's a command, did you know? We're commanded to rejoice. And sometimes we have to be commanded because we just downright don't feel like it, right? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in your circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. Sweet reasonableness. The Lord is at hand. He's near. So determine you're going to have a sweet reasonableness in your life. And don't, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication is specific prayer. It's a specific request. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't worry about it. Pray about it, right? 
Someone said, you know, her lady said one time, says, what should we do? And, and the, the pastor said, well, let's pray about it. And the lady said, oh, is it that bad, pastor? Is it that bad? <laughs> Has it come to that? <laughs> People say, should I pray about the little things in life? Can you think of anything in your life that's big to God? Pray about everything. If it concerns you, it concerns him. All right? And he says, the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he's challenging us here about these means of peace. This is how peace comes. And then he says, determine you're going to have a mind of peace. Look at verses 8 and 9. That's determine you're going to have a mind of peace. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent, if there's anything that is worthy of praise, think Actively think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Think about these things and practice these things and the God of what? Peace will be with you. You have to determine you're going to set your mind on things that are right. And that means if you're going to do that, there's some things that you're going to have to turn away from that are wrong, that don't make for peace. Practice the things that you've learned of the Lord. And then, the lastly, just determine to be a maker of peace. You want to be a peaceful person? Then don't get into people's problems, but try to help people live at peace. Look at verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion. Paul says, I want you. We don't know who this is. He says, I want you to help, true companion. Help those women who've labored by my side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, be a peacemaker. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers. Don't take up sides. Seek to bring people together. And you will experience the peace of God. Folks, I want to tell you, when you get involved in factionalism and division and dissension between teams or, or people in, in Christ, that just leads to discord in your own heart. You're, you're dumping turmoil in your own life. Be a peacemaker. All right? So I just give you that. That's just for free, okay? I'm not even charging you that for the day. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3 now, all right? 2 Peter 3. We're longing for peace. We, we want to seek peace. We long for peace, and we're looking for the Prince of Peace, right? So while we're doing that, let's live at peace. If you want peace and you're looking for the Prince of Peace, determine to live at peace. And then, thirdly, here's a third word, live on purpose. Live on purpose. Pure, at peace, and on purpose. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great Christian leaders ever produced in this country. As a young man, he made several resolutions to guide his life. 
And here is one of his most powerful. Listen carefully. Jonathan Edwards, as a young man, said this. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolved, I will live with all my might while I do live. That means to live on purpose. Live on purpose. Living on purpose ultimately means aligning ourselves with God's purpose. You know, you can think that you're living on purpose, but if you're not living on God's purposes, you're not living on purpose at all. You see, to live on purpose means I'm aligning myself to live on God's purposes. And in verse 15, Peter reminds us of one of God's great purposes. Verse 15, he says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, what's the purpose there? What is that purpose? Well, it's what Peter just referred to a few sentences earlier. Look back up the column to verse 9. What did he say in verse 9? Look at that. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There is the purpose. The purpose of God's patience is salvation. You see, God's patience reflects God's heart for the world. He is patient, not willing that people should perish. They should come to repentance. So he waits as the gospel goes out from his people. God's heart is for the world. My friends, listen, this is what God says about the world. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Never forget how God feels about this world, this world of people. He loves the world. He so loves the world. And there's no depth to that little word, so. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Our heavenly father challenges us. Here's, how, here's the purpose. He's challenging us. To also have a purpose of living for his salvation. To come to others. His purpose is that we live for the salvation of others. Not to withdraw from society. Folks, listen, that is not biblical truth. Nowhere in the New Testament will you find that Christians are told to withdraw from the world. We're not told to withdraw from the world in that we're not to have association and interaction with the world. The Bible says that God wants us to be in the world, but not what? Of the world. And that is the issue. It's to be in the world, but not to be of the world. How does that happen? It's when Christ has greater pressure in your heart than the pressure on you from the world. Then you're able to be in the world, but not of the world. It's when Christ is filling your heart, then you're able to go out into a filthy world. 
and to live on mission. Just like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was the only sinless one, and he lived in a sinful world, and you know what the Bible says about him? Listen, church, he was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners, and every single person here ought to say, thank God for that, because that took me in. He was a friend of sinners. I want to ask you, are we? Are we? Are we living on mission? Are all of our friends inside our circle of faith or do we press out and pull into relationship with us those who don't share our faith? Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. This needs to get into our minds. If you want to win people to Jesus, you got to first win them to yourself. Nobody goes out and wins people to Christ. <laughs> well, be careful with my word. By just bugging them. Irritating them. Irritating folks about their worldliness is not a spiritual tool. If you want to win people to Christ, win them to yourself so that you have a relationship. Now, I know you may have opportunity in a plane or someplace to talk to someone about the Lord. I know that. I've been involved with that. But the vast majority of times, the way you're going to win people to Jesus is to win them to yourself. Earn their trust. Earn the right to be heard. Let them know by your facial expressions, by your words, and by your attitude that you truly do like them and you're interested in them. And then they may listen to what you have to say about Jesus. Live in purity, live at peace. Live on purpose. Here's another one. Live with perceptiveness. Live with perceptiveness, okay? We need to wait with wisdom. We've got to be wise while we wait. And Peter challenges these believers, and he's challenging us in a very unique way. It's, it's truly one of the unique verses in the Bible. It's very unique the way Peter challenges us to perceptiveness. You know what he does? He refers to the writings of Paul. So here's Peter talking about Paul. And notice what he says, verse 15. And now this tells us Paul's still alive. Okay, he's still alive. And here's what he says. Just, verse 15, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them of the, and speaks in them of these matters. Now, there's several things that are very interesting, they're very unique in the Bible. Here's Peter, and he's sharing some things about Paul. And first of all, he speaks of Paul with great humility. Great humility. He calls him our beloved brother Paul. Now, you know what's so wonderful about that? Guess what happened about 20 years earlier? In the very area where Peter is writing this letter. Paul had to call Peter out in a church service and tell him he was acting like a hypocrite. How would you like to have been in that church service? 
when the Apostle Paul calls out the Apostle Peter because Peter had been associating with the Gentiles, but when some folks came from the church in Jerusalem, oh, he separated. No more ham sandwiches for him. No. He became kosher again. And Paul wouldn't have it. Called him out. Now, see how bitter Peter is 20 years later? Oh, he says, so be bitter. How? Who? Called me out in front of the church. I'll never speak to him again. <laughs> the very idea. How loving. How could that be love? Somebody call you out in the presence. And I am the keeper of the keys. No. Peter had spiritual understanding that Paul did him a great service. Rescuing him from hypocrisy. Folks, I want to tell you, some of the greatest people and the greatest friends you ever had, and maybe you ought to call them this weekend if you've never done so, or write them a letter if you can, and tell them thank you that they spoke truth to you. That they loved you enough to tell you you weren't acting right or living right. I want to tell you, that's a true friend. A true friend. Loves you enough to want to see you live right. Here we have Peter. He says, he's my beloved brother, Paul. I just love that. And then he speaks of Peter, uh, Paul's writings with great affirmation. He says, he wrote to you. And you got to remember, who did, what's he talking about? Well, what letters did Paul write to this group of people? He wrote Colossians. He wrote to them Galatians. He wrote to them Ephesians. All those letters were written to this group of people. And then he says, Peter says, Paul refers to these things in all of his letters. This is so amazing. You know what he's saying? He's saying Paul's letters are already being circulated around the church. His letters are already been put together and Christians are reading them everywhere. Isn't it amazing? He says he writes about these same things. What's the same things? Salvation, the return of the Lord. False teachers, Peter and Paul have been saying the same thing. They've been singing the same song given to them by the Spirit. And he says, Paul has great authority. He says in verse 16, now I'll tell you, this has encouraged my heart over the years. There are, he says, some things in them, in Paul's writings, that are hard to understand. Can I get an amen to that? Hey, I feel pretty good about that. Peter had a hard time understanding Paul. Man, maybe I'm not so stupid after all. Paul wrote some things Peter had a hard time understanding. But he said, be careful because those truths are sacred scripture. Do you notice what he says? He says that the unlearned and untaught, these false teachers, they twist them as they do all the scriptures. Here is Peter calling the writings of Paul sacred scripture. Man. And he says those scriptures are under attack. The untaught and the unstable, that means the false teachers. The untaught and the unstable, they are twisting Paul's writings. And the word twisting there means torturing. They're torturing the scriptures to make them say what they want them to say. And that's still with us today, isn't it? You can 
listen, you can take verses out of the Bible and you can concoct the most bizarre theology ever out of the Bible if you don't, if you twist it, but you have to twist it to make it say those things. And they were twisting the scriptures to make them teach error, the error of lawless people. He says, this is the error of lawless people. What does that mean? It means they are teaching, listen carefully, they are teaching God's grace as a license to sin. That's what people did with Paul's writings back then and they do that today. They say, oh, we're saved by grace. Since we were saved by grace, then our sin is just making God's grace greater and therefore since we're saved by grace, I can live the way I want to live because that just magnifies God's grace. Friends, that is a disgrace to grace. And Paul, several times, he had to deal with people twisting his words. And he said, God forbid that I should ever do such a thing. That God's grace should be used as a reason, as, as a way of advancing sin. He says... They're under attack, but don't be carried away. Verse 17, you therefore, my beloved, knowing this beforehand, to be forewarned is to be what? Forearmed. Knowing that these false teachers are going to be twisting scriptures, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Be careful that you don't follow these teachers and not lose your own your salvation. That's not what he's saying. He says you lose your stability. You lose your groundedness. You lose your way by following these false teachers. You know, I, yesterday the Lord gave me a perfect illustration for this. He, he does this sometimes. You know, when I was early, when I was in the ministry, I used to spend a lot of money buying illustration books because I thought I needed books of illustrations. And then I thought, life is an illustration, <laughs> you know? And when you're married and you have children, you have an illustration book right around you all the time. I mean, it's just an illustration book. And I had one yesterday. Yesterday, my daughter Ruth, my son-in-law Ben, they, they moved into their first home. And so several, some of us here, we were there helping them load. And they, the only truck left at U-Haul was 26 feet long. You should have seen that beast, okay? And so we loaded it up and we're, we're driving it. But because it's such a crooked road, uh, Ben had to take it way down Middlebrook and over and back up because that was the only way to get there. Well, one of the fellas jumped in the car with me, and the other one's following, and we're just going to meet them over there. And I knew about where the house was. I hadn't been there before, though. So I went over there, and I'm driving up the crooked roads, and as I'm getting close, I know I'm close, here comes this great big old truck, this big U-Haul, right down the road. And I said, hey, I'll just follow Ben in. A Ben will just lead me right in. So I got behind that truck. I'm following Ben and it's following him, following him. And I'm thinking, well, maybe he knows another way I don't know about. I'm following him, following him. Boy, it's a little farther away than I thought it was. <laughs> After about three miles, that truck doesn't look quite the same as the other truck, does it? No. Guess what? 
I'd gotten behind the wrong truck. And the person behind me had gotten behind me. And we're miles off. Hey, listen. Same brand of truck. Same color of truck. Looked just like it almost. But led me way astray. That's a pretty good illustration. <laughs> Don't get behind the wrong truck. That's all you need, some of you this morning. That's all you need. Just don't get behind the wrong truck. It may look like the right truck. It may be painted, but look and make sure it's the right truck that's leading you. Because almost, trust me, won't get you there. Won't get you there. I want you to live, lastly, on purpose. Peter says... Growing grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. Growing grace. And grace is in Jesus. And live to praise. That's the last. Live to praise. Growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. What's he been talking about? The day. The day of the Lord will bring what? The day of eternity. The day of eternity. No night there. Praise God. The day of eternity is coming. But until then, till then, he says, to him be glory this day and to the day of eternity. Folks, listen. Don't wait till you get to heaven to start praising Jesus. Rehearse right now. Practice it right now. Praise the Lord this day and every day praise him. And then you'll be praising him as well throughout the day of eternity. And that day will never know a sunset. And Jesus says until that day comes, we are to take and remember Remember him until that day.